and welcome to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyfen, joined as always by my friend and Cypriot colleague, Stu Lennon. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Justin. I'm enjoying uh, sort of normal-ish weather for us, so it's quite warm, quite toasty. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sitting here in the, the aircon, which I'm sure my fussy editor will, will have to work hours to remove from the sound, so nobody will hear a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I'm, I'm in good form. How are you, holiday man? I'm good. I'm enjoying life. It's, it's been lovely. I've not worked. Well, I've, I've checked in on work because, you know, that's kind of what you have to do. But uh, no, I've really enjoyed it. I've uh, had a wonderful, wonderful day on Tuesday. Tuesday was our 10th year anniversary for my wife and I. She's feeling better after... Well, the crappier that we've had. So we had a wonderful series of dates started with breakfast in the morning at a little sort of diner that we ate at when we came up here to look for houses all that time ago. And it was just lovely. Went for a walk into one of the local towns. They have a a main street. How quaint, hey? A main street in a town. It's very, very old fashioned and really cool. So we walked down there, had lunch at the, we, we had lunch at our restaurant on a patio overlooking the lake. Then we ended up in, well, for dinner, a winery with a restaurant attached. We were over there sitting, enjoying a bottle of champagne. Oh, we can't call it champagne, sparkling wine because we're not in France. Um, overlooking the lake again, it was lovely weather. I think the weather was sort of 32, 33 degrees, nice and warm. I was fantastic. Uh, But I should apologize because, well, the show was a little late out because of that. I got home and was not in the best shape after a wine tasting and and a bottle of champagne to post anything on the internet. I've I've learned a few things, but... Not that was, that would not have been a good thing to post on the internet. Uh, uh, my drinking app though, did not like me. I, yeah, but you probably didn't put in the special anniversary exemption code. I, I'm not sure I gave that to you. Oh. That, that's probably my fault. Oh, that must be it. To strike it for the record is probably the easiest. Mm. Um, and I still have a house, uh, which after the weekend was very, very questionable. I was ready to burn the place down. Oh, scorched earth approach. My wife was outside and she found a black widow spider living on our deck. A big one with like the, the little red doohickey thingy underneath that says, I'm a black widow and I will kill you. Um, I hate spiders anyway. I hate little spiders. I particularly hate big spiders and spiders that can kill me. Uh, so I have not been out on my deck and I have been contemplating moving to a colder climate where these things don't live, but oh my gosh. <laughs> I think generally go, I mean, black widows and other spiders, I don't think they come looking for you particularly just, I mean, they, I think they sort of stay out your way most of the time. I'm not going to risk it. Uh, black widow is gone now. Uh, we tried everything oh. we could to make sure that it wasn't coming back, but ugh. and then yesterday we were out walking and I was about to complain that, damn, somebody didn't co- clean up after their dog. And we looked at it a little closer. We did a little bit of Googling and well, on the end of my street, guess what? We have bear poop. So yes, the bears are apparently down here, uh, probably hunting the berries we've got, uh, 
Our neighbor has a wonderful cherry tree that I keep walking past and looking and drooling over and gosh only knows uh, what's happening to my other neighbor's vineyard for his lovely white wines. But yeah, the, the bears are out. So um, hopefully they don't become a snack with interested in cocoa. It's a little scary living up here. Who does, <laughs> you know, I, I think I want the deer back that, you know, so nicely destroyed my hedges, uh, coming and eating them. They were cute. They were friendly, but, uh, the bear and the black widow, what did I do, Stu? What did I do? Well, the, the bear might be friendly too. I mean, you, you don't know. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm British obviously, so I've got extensive experience of bears. Um, probably Paddington is the one I've got the most, uh. Uh, experience of, and he, I mean, he's absolutely charming, lovely marmalade sandwiches. That's the trick. Mm-hmm. Perhaps just have one of those available. Well, you do know that Winnie the Pooh was uh, Canadian, right? He came from Winnipeg, which is, I think, where his name was. So maybe I just need to carry a big jar of honey with me and drop that and run like and scream like a little girl. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Win- Winnie the Pooh was Canadian. He was. He was named after. Winnipeg. Good lord. So, so A.A. Milne wrote about a Canadian bear. Is that what we're saying? I be, well, I believe he was Canadian. Um, I, I'm learning as we, as we sit here, or as I sit here, I'm going, heavens, I never knew that. Uh, English author, where was it? I'm just oh. Googling this because this is really, really oh. exciting stuff. Uh, I can't find it on Wikipedia. Uh, this is Canada's honor being defended. Uh, but, but, but I thought it was maybe. Um... Oh, there we go. It was named after a Canadian black bear he often saw at the London Zoo. <laughs> and uh, he named the bear Winnie after his adopted hometown in Winnipeg, Manitoba. See, I was right. My God, at this time in the morning, I actually got something right. So there you go. I don't, I think the best thing there, Justin, was, is we were both completely right. Mm-hmm. Very cool. He's, he's, he's English author, Canadian bear in London. I mean, it's the whole thing. I mean, it's probably, it's probably where the Paddington bear story came from. Oh, no, hang on. That was Peru. We shall see what happens when I actually run into this bear because I'm scared now. Christ. Well, I, I I believe the advice is don't run into the bear. Um, if you see the bear, stop, slowly retreat, uh, or stand next to somebody who could run slower than you. You know, I'm going to be running with a 15 pound dog in my arms. <sighs> sure, you don't have to. You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the person next to you. That's my wife. That's. Just- <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. This is getting complicated now. I better take one for the team is what I'm thinking here. <laughs> uh, though on the bright side, uh, I did go for my physical yesterday. I hate being a male over 50, but I got a passing grade all around. My new doctor is very happy, so I'm all good. He's given me the okay that I can actually run. Uh, so when the bear is oh. chasing me, I, I'm I'm in good physical shape to run. So there we go. It's all good. Um, on the bright right. side, this, this whole new diet thing that I've been on for a little while, uh, because, well, I knew this was coming up and you got to go through all that stuff. I'm losing weight, Stu. Congratulations. I, I went out the other day. We went out for dinner, as I mentioned. I put on dress pants that I fit into and a proper shirt and I fit into them. It was amazing. 
Excellent work. There you go. Crisis averted. And have you achieved this wonderful feat? Just pure luck and a wife that does all the cooking and has ah. said, I don't want you to die. Ah, so anyway, there we go. That's my exciting life at the moment. Ah, what, what about you? What's your tool of the week? Well, my, my, my tool of the week, uh, I think is my bad leg. Um, it's still giving me jip. Um, and so as a consequence, I'm, I'm off games, as we used to say at school. So uh, I'm not allowed to, to play golf, uh, which has suddenly gifted me with countless hours of time, which I, I wouldn't normally have because I'd be wandering around chasing a little white ball. Uh, so yes, the, the silver lining to having a sore leg uh, is that I've got loads of time, which is handy because I've got uh, some deadlines coming up for my, my studies. So I have to write some essays and things. Uh, so the, yes, there you go. That's my tool of the week is being a little bit ill, not a lot ill, just a little bit ill. Mm-hmm. Being a lot ill is no fun at all. No, well, let's hope the leg gets better. Uh, mostly so I don't have to listen to Syracuse's toe, the stew version. Oh, uh, so I've got magic cream now, Justin. On top of on top of the antibiotic tablets, I now have magic cream, which is made up of some sort of weird acid thing that I, I looked it up as the pharmacist was. Oh, yeah, this is the stuff you need. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, are you sure? I mean, it's you know, it's it's it, it's pretty icky down there." No, 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 no. You're supposed to put it directly onto ickiness. You'll love it. It's great. And so I looked this stuff up. It's actually used um, as a beauty treatment. Oh, there you go. It'll make you beautiful again. As a sort of filler. It, it's like a filler. So you put it on your skin and it helps you, uh, you know, fill in the gaps or, or whatever one does. You're buying it by the, uh, by the tub, I assume, then, if it's uh, going to help us fill in the gaps of age. <laughs> I've got some wrinkles that could really use some filling and... Uh, I think it, it would take a lot of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Does it come with a trowel? Um, so, uh, look, I'm willing to try anything. What about you? What's what's going on in the, the tools of the week in Canada? Oh, so I have a problem because oh. wife that doesn't work, wife that uh, wants to go out with me on the limited trips because I work from home, I don't go anywhere. And when I do go, my wife usually wants to go with me because she likes to get out of the house. Have you ever tried planning something like a 10th wedding anniversary with a wife that follows you everywhere and that is home when the Amazon driver shows up? Uh, so, you know, gifts are very, very tough to do. Uh, cards. Oh, my gosh. That was a challenge in itself trying to get a card for her. So I came up with a. Well, I thought it was a brilliant idea. Have you ever heard of the website Cameo? Uh, well, I, if I can confess, only when I saw it in the show notes and hurriedly looked it up. That was the first time I'd ever heard of it. Mm. So I've heard of it. It's a website where you can hire a famous person to give you a pre-recorded video message. It was my first time using it. and It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, so I, my wife over the winter, I've been a formula one fan. I know I'm going to lose Stu at this point, but <laughs> he's talked about rugby before. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't mind uh, fair play here. Uh, my, I'm a formula one fan. My wife watched Netflix's drive to survive and has now got into formula one and out here, formula one starts particularly early on a Sunday morning, the races, 
she, my wife got up one race at 4 AM to watch the, the race live with me, which I thought was absolutely crazy. So this show on Netflix has got her really excited about the season. There is a presenter, Will Buxton, who is a Formula One journalist and sort of the host journalist of this Drive to Survive. And I found out he was on Cameo. So I engaged him to just say a happy anniversary and congratulations over, you know, beating cancer and got this wonderful message. So I sat down and had it on my phone and I airplayed it to the TV and I, I did something a little crazy. I, I said, did you see the announcement for the new drive to survive? And she says, Oh no. And so I put this on and, uh, Mr. Buxton was doing a fantastic job. He was humorous. He was just doing an intro like he would do to a formula one. And then he twisted it around and threw my wife's name into the conversation and just gave her a beautiful, beautiful, completely honest and genuine hello and shout out and everything like that. I was watching Cindy's face and her mouth just was dropping and dropping and dropping. She's kind of half watching. And then, you know, as soon as he said her name, she, and it was just fantastic. It was the best surprise gift. I have ever got for anybody. It was just a fantastic reaction. It wasn't particularly expensive. I would certainly do it again. And so I'm just going to give it a shout out because if you're looking for a unique gift for someone that's hard to buy for, this is an absolutely great thing. There's a whole bunch of different celebrities out there. A lot of B-list sort of movie stars. Uh, there's some, you know, uh, well, people that Stu and I grew up and play music and they're, uh, you know, now as part of their retirement, subsidizing it through this. Um, Mr. Buxton, uh, the proceeds go to charity. So certainly uh, money well spent in, in that respect for me and just an absolutely lovely thing. I've got nothing but good things to say about him. He did a fantastic job and the service itself is just a lot of fun. So there you go. Awesome. That sounds brilliant. I mean, may have to have a closer look at that later. Yeah, I can uh, send over the video to you. I mean, you won't know who it is, but uh, it was it was just fantastic. Like the way he did it, it was really cool. So if other people do the same thing, oh my gosh, well worth it. Very cool. Excellent work. All right, then. So pen and ink of the... Oh, you're on the holiday. You probably don't have a pen and ink, do you? No. Well, you, I didn't until yesterday. Oh. Uh, I, I have... I have been doing wine tastings, which is apparently a thing I like to do, Stu. No wonder my little app doesn't like me. <laughs> um, and I have, I have a little waterproof, ink-proof carry um, bag that I put in my pocket. And it carries, it's got a Midori bullet pencil in it. It has a um, Fisher space pen in there. And I usually carry some sort of AL Sport in there. Mm -hmm. uh, this time I'm using the inked up uh, the AL Sport with the carbon fiber inserts, okay. uh, which is a fancy version, the kind of expensive fancy version. Uh, and that's the one that's been inked up, but I've been going out of the house. So it's been living in my, in my bag with me. Uh, the reason I have this silly little ink proof bag is, well, 
one time I was at work and a pen leaked and I had a dark blue stain on my crotch all day. And, oh, it was just horrible because I keep it in my front pocket. So I have this thing, um, and that has been going with me and I've been using that as my wine tasting notes pen, because that's the kind of person I am. That's been lovely. And then yesterday uh, I came home to the mail. I got some great mail. Uh, thanks to Lisa. I got my U S initiated Musgrave pencils. The Amazon delivery came through, which was lovely. So I've got a dozen variety pack of Musgrave pencils that I can sharpen up and try those. And then I bought a new to me Lamy dialogue three which is a gold nibbed pen, lovely, fine in a matte black finish. The Dialogue 3 is, well, it's like a fat Lamy version of the Pilot Decimo. It's a retractable ink pen. So lovely. I, I charge it up with the Mont Blanc Irish Green because I've already got a couple of other of my usual Mont Blanc inks in play at the moment. I wanted something different. So the green was just fantastic. So loving it. I'm quite excited to use that. So that'll be my pen for the next week, at least anyway. Excellent. How about you? What have you been writing with? Oh, uh, well, I've just, I've just posted a little note to you in our show notes. Sorry, listeners, just turn away for a moment. Um, if you click on that, there's, there's a product that may appeal to you, I suspect. Um, uh, Nero's, uh, we carry Calipino's wine tasting notes. Oh, Stuart. <laughs> um, little, little pocket notebooks, uh, the, you know, the familiar size, uh, we have them in a, in a leather portfolio because, well, you know, you want to be a bit classy while you're tasting wine. Um, but yeah, have a look at them. They're fantastic little books. Uh, we can, we can get them without the leather too. But uh, you have a look at that, and uh, I'm sure we'll leave it there for the listeners too. Um, I have been using this week, I inked up uh, my Lamy 2000. So I've still got two sailors on the go, um, a Pro Gear Slim and a Pro Gear Regular. Um, and now I've added to that for my sort of third pen. That's my new rule. I can only have three pens inked. Um, the Lamy 2000, which is, you know, classic. Uh, and I have Ancient Copper, which is a diamine ink, which for me is just a little bit dry, I think, for the Lamy 2000. I need a wet ink in the 2000. I don't know why. But it's, you know, this works well enough. Um, and it's it's just such an iconic pen design. Uh, and Ancient Copper is, well, it's a lovely rich colour. So what, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, so, yeah, I've been, I've been sort of, mucking about with a few more notebooks i think like you i'm beginning to get into the the habit of pocket ones again um although i have to try and resolve the sweat issue because it's a bit hot to be carrying something in my back pocket um but yeah no loving loving the world of fountain pens yeah loving that the fountain pens i'm loving the pencils and that's just nice not to have to use a pen for work. I've been journaling. I, I was up early this morning and, you know, wrote three or four pages in my journal and just absolutely enjoying a little bit of quiet time and pens. That's great, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, it and there'll is. be a couple of pens going to people in North America. Hey. I've had a couple of people reach out. Uh, Stu needs to offload pens too. So if you're in Europe, send us emails. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that you never know, you might get a good one. 
there's, there's, if there's a few there, I have to say. I think there's a very dry uh, Lamy 2000 needs to go up. <laughs> no, no, it's not a dry Lamy 2000. The Lamy 2000 is going nowhere. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was, uh, I, I go through, I cleaned a bunch of pens the other day and was putting them away. And, you know, I've got sort of this order of precedence between, you know, what are the cases the display cases are out on my desk. I've got a couple of those. What goes in, you know, each one of my storage places. And uh, yeah, I was looking at the Lamy 2000 and thinking, I haven't written with that in a little while. So fantastic pen. Mm, Even if you don't is. get one for free. Well worth it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes, worth buying. So what are we supposed to be talking about today, Justin? I forget. Well, we were talking about budgeting, which uh, when we're just trying to get people to buy a Lamy 2000 or, well, a wine tasting notebook, which is weirdly in my Nero's cart right now, just in case you're <laughs> not sitting on your uh, CRM looking at me going, oh, yes, I see. I've got him on with this. Um, yes. Uh, what's a budget, Stu? How on earth would I know? Uh, no. Uh, in my experience, um, uh, I, the first sort of meeting i had with budget in the professional world was it was a stick used to beat me um probably biannually i would say um where there was this whole the, the company i worked for was spread across several territories so we had country managers and we would all get together in london uh and present our budget and we were presenting it in a sort of agreed format to the finance director and the CEO. And really, it was their opportunity to sort of, in front of your peers, lambast you, make you feel small, explain to you your inadequacies and uh, your shortcomings as a manager. Uh, and then they would tell you what numbers they wanted to put in. Because me being <laughs> um, me, being me um, I, I coined a couple of phrases. So... Uh, one was that we used to call it the bleep of the month meeting, um, just to see who was in the worst spot. Um, and the other one was that I sat there and said, uh, gentlemen, at the risk of being overly direct, would it not be easier if you just sent me an email with the numbers in? <laughs> yeah, that's about it, isn't it? And to which they went, what do you mean? I said, well, you've completely not accepted anything i've said you've changed every single fundamental number and essentially this has now become a directive this is what you want me to achieve in my right operation well you could have saved yourself a couple of thousand pounds by not having me fly over here and put me in a hotel you could have just sent me an email uh, that didn't go quite as well as i'd hoped i at an early stage in my career developed a, a reputation as a bit of a troublemaker justin which uh, has stayed with me ever since, to be honest. Um, <laughs> that just ties in so well to my comment. Uh, my my first line of our show notes is, boy, I'm grumpy and jaded about the budget process, especially in a corporate environment. I, I mean, professionally, I know it's essential, uh, but it needs to be used for goods. Yes. Um, you know, the, this Stu's recollection of the process is just so endemic as as a tool to use it as as a stick 
Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm a little grumpy and jaded, but we'll get into that afterwards. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit more about, about budget stew okay. before I get all grumpy on you. Well, I say I sort of learned from that process and to be fair, the company learned from that process and we, we got to the stage where, um, or I began to understand the importance of the, uh, the controllable levers behind the numbers. So, okay, this is easy. I worked in one of the simplest businesses there is, uh, which is foreign exchange. So foreign exchange, just think of yourself as a little counter, you know, in the middle of a, a city of your choice, Rome, whatever you like. And the people coming in will, will say American people coming in with dollars, they want to get hold of the, uh, Italian dollar as a lot of them would call it. Um, and the Italian dollar at the time was the lira and comes in um, denominations of uh, 500,000, 1,100,000. Anyway, so you can imagine the, the, the confusion. But we would, as a business, we'd be looking at, okay, what's our turnover? You know, how many millions of dollars have we bought and sold? How many are we going to buy and sell over a year? And you can sit there and sort of guess. <laughs> you can look at last year and go, well, we did a hundred million last year. Maybe it's going to be 110 million this year. Funny enough, you turn around your boss and say, I think it'd be 90 million this year. And he'll go, no, nope, wrong answer. Try again. Um, so for a while, I thought that this was just some sort of mathematical exercise. Whereas actually what I learned through the whole process was that as a business, we were really targeting three things, which were one, how many customers are going to come in? Two, how much are they going to change? And three, what margin will I be able to achieve on that transaction? Those are my three levers. If I can get an increase in any one of those levers, then that will increase my turnover and my profit. Um, specifically, if last year 100 people came in, can I find a way to get 110 people to come in? Because then all things being equal, I will have 10% more business. Or can I get 110 people to come in and change 10% more than they did last time? Because then we're going to be 20% up. And in that respect, a budget is useful because it focuses managers on the things that they can impact. Mm -hmm. So how do you get more people into the store? Okay, you look at your marketing, you look at your uh, brand proposition, you look at how the store looks, you look at your opening hours. You look at the tourism arrival numbers. How many Americans are arriving in Italy? What's the expectation? You, you've got something you can actually work with. And that's a budget being useful. That's a budget acting as a guide for managers to look at the things that they can impact to make things better, to increase revenue, because all businesses exist to grow. Okay. And that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. That's one way to look at a budget. And that's where I think I really got the most benefit from it. Which is great until the senior managers get involved and say, your plans aren't good enough. Yeah. An extra 20% to you. <laughs> yeah. And, but, you know, A, they can do that. And B, um, I mean, the thing, the thing that I used to find most amusing would be uh, how creative we would get. So I would be building my budget. And I would say, okay, I think I can, can get a little bit of growth here and I can, I can maybe increase the margin because what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the price up. 
So where before I was taking X percent, now I'm going to take Y percent as my sort of starting point margin. So that'll make more money. That's great. Obviously, the thing you fear when you put your price up is that you might drive down the amount of customers because customers may may look at your price and go, I don't want to buy at that price. Um, but given that the foreign exchange business relies on disguising the price, nobody ever knows. So that would would all happen. And then we'd be sitting at meetings and all the country managers are doing the exact same thing. And a finance director, you, you might know a couple, oh, hang on, you are one, will turn around and go, right, I see that you've increased the volume of customers in July and August by 12%. Why is that? Finance directors always do that. They ask really awkward questions. And one year, again, completely by accident, I went, ah, well, it's the World Cup. Uh, and they went, sorry? I said, well, it's the World Cup. And because of the World Cup, there's going to be more people traveling at this time rather than that time. Because I, w- I was completely riffing. I was making it up as I went along. And that's what tends to happen is because you're put on the spot by senior management. <laughs> you start inventing things as reasons rather than, well, it's just my best guess, boss, which is the answer you should give. Um, so it's um, when the bosses, as you say, come with an expectation and a sort of minimum, uh, it's so much easier for everyone if they say that up front. <laughs> that's what that's what it's different. And, and when, when I was the big boss, um, I used to start the whole budgeting process off by saying, right, okay, let's sit down together now before you go off and do a budget. Let me talk to you about my expectations because I don't want you to come here saying X, Y, and Z and me to say, no, that's rubbish. Okay. <laughs> this is how we, and I used to set the budget by saying, this is where we need to get to. You work out how we get there uh, and then come and, and present that to me. Um, but yeah, I, I'm afraid that's very much in my experience. That's very much the exception. Yeah. <laughs> how, how does it work in the, in the, in the Twyford world of budgeting? Uh, it's, it's actually much more informal with the organizations that I'm in now, uh, mostly because it's a, a group of owners that are private owners. They own the business. It's a family business. So it makes it much easier to, to do. Uh, basically we have, uh, you know, certain covenants that we need to keep. We've got certain returns. Here's what we need as minimums. Here's what we'd like to get. And here's what we need to get for, you know, various reasons that we need to do. Uh, and that makes it much easier to to really look at your turnover. Um, a lot of what I'm doing now is, uh, sort of cash, cash based. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm much more interested in how the cash is rather than the accounting profit, because I'm not reporting to stock markets or to sure. uh, the worst people of all, uh, equity finance people, mm. private equity. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Uh, they are uh, terrible when it comes to, um, you know, it's, it's money. It's all, you know, you, you are making decisions in a business based on, I'm looking for this bottom line because I'm trying to get enough money in the books reportable that I could sell this business in three to five years and double, triple my money, uh, which means that, you know, the, the investments that you should be making in in research and development, in, uh, product development, in, um, 
things like marketing promotion that is not directly sales related, you know, brand recognition, those types of marketing expenses, they tend to go down uh, based on the short-term goal of let's increase the profit margin. You know, if we can't increase the sales, let's increase the profit margin. Sure. And that is cut, 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 cut. Uh, and I've, I've had to deal with those in, in the past. So really, you know, part of this comes down to who your, who your stakeholders are. Um, the, that will change the budget process quite a bit. And as, as I say, I'm, I think I've got a good process now. I've got lots of buy-in. Everybody kind of knows, uh, as you said, when you were running the business, everybody knows what the goalposts are. Mm. You know, there's, there's no surprises where you come by after the fact to say, well, this is your target. Oh no, this is what we actually need. And oh, by the way, you're not getting any more resources. Your, your staff budget, which is, you know, usually one of the biggest, um, variable expenses on, on any budget. Uh, you're not getting any more resources or any more allocation in there, but you need to up your revenue projections by 20% because that's what we need to report to our private equity. Um, those are, those are challenging for everybody. And, you know, unfortunately everybody goes through this. It's expensive. It's time consuming. I, I remember going through this process in some of the big organizations. It was sort of six weeks of work just for the process to come up with the numbers mm -hmm. and then you'd go and you'd do your presentation, you'd have your meeting and then you'd come back and you'd be beaten down because, oh yeah, well, that was a good, that was good. And I still need to increase it. And, uh, that is very demoralizing for a lot of people because you know what, if you don't have buy into your budget and you're told we have to just increase it and there is not a path to that, you end up becoming disengaged and disenfranchised with the whole process. Mm. You need to have a path. And what, what you do get into is a whole lot of gamesmanship. You know, my division is going to, uh, give you this and, you know, nobody's ever got fired for exceeding a budget, you know, so everybody's sandbagging and, you know, again, it's, it, it's kind of like, uh, well, it's a little bit of foreplay, isn't it? You know, you go in at one number given that you know you're going to get increased to this number and it's, it's like negotiations and it's just not a great place to be. If you can get that, that buy-in to come up with ambitious strategic goals so that you can look at those key things that you could do. How do we increase our, our funding? How do we increase our revenue? How do we better spend our resources to increase that right now and three years from now, you know, every, a lot of these budgets are short-term, you know, they're sure. on the next fiscal year and that's all everybody cares about because that's the one that's going to get you a raise. It's going to get you a bonus. It's going to get you fired if you really mess it up. And I, I think that transparency and, you know, accountability, but also you kind of have trust in your people that are putting these these budgets through, you know, that they are doing the best they can do, that they're not going to be killed if they, you know, pick a, pick a, a budget level and don't make it. We gave it our best effort using this, this, and this, here's my methodology for that. And it just didn't work out. 
you know, for whatever reason, Hey, you know, we're in the travel industry and well, COVID 2020, nobody could have predicted that if, if anybody had that in their corporate budget, uh, I want to meet them because I've got, uh, there's a lotto on the weekend. I'd like to have, uh, the six numbers for that, please. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it is, it is a little bit of gamesmanship, you know, and I, I, I kind of look at this, you really see this right at the moment. Um, there's a lot of changes going in in the world over the last couple of years. I'm, I'm following, you know, I have a Peloton, so I follow Pen Peloton last week, mm -hmm. they announced their outsourcing all of their production yeah. because they were busy building and expanding because everybody was working out at home in the pandemic, short-term thinking again, budgets. Oh, we're doing well. We're having a record year. Our stock price is going through the roof. Let's build capacity. Let's build capacity. And then guess what happens when the pandemic sort of dies off and everybody who wants a Peloton has one and everybody else can go back to a gym. All of a sudden that business model dries up and, you know, Peloton has dropped something like 70% in stock value because, well, people thought the pandemic was going to last forever. Netflix, the same thing again. Crypto organizations, these assumptions that people have short term deal with this problem. You're not always going to do that. I think one of the things that we need to think about always is a long term focus versus the the tragedy of the short term that can be just a brutalized organization. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, you're absolutely right. I mean the. The sort of bigger the organization gets and the more diverse the stakeholders, then the harder this becomes because, uh, you know, often you, you know, Netflix has, um, uh, you know, has lost subscribers, hasn't grown as expected. None of that was in their budget. That's what people have ascribed to them. So, you know, they have an earnings call uh, where, you know, there's all this amazingly sort of quiet and careful language used to say, well, yeah, we kind of think we might sort of just maybe this a little bit, sort of, perhaps. And then if if that doesn't turn into 12% growth, then the analysts will be, oh, it's missed. It's, you know, it, it becomes a sort of externalized budget. But as you say, even as you get smaller into smaller organizations, there that you can get all the sandbagging that goes on, people trying to, uh, you know, this is how they they go through the organization. It's how they get promoted. It's how they earn bonuses. Um, it's how they get their team recognized. There's all sorts of good reasons that bad things happen, um, and it really is up to the leadership of an organization to say, right, okay, this process either doesn't happen or is for a is something that we all agree is a good thing. It's deciding how we're going to spend our resource this year to what end, you know, what we're trying to do, where we're trying to go, who we're trying to become. And if you can't get that sort of feeling, which I appreciate, it's much harder to do in a larger organization. Then as you say, you've got you know, loads of highly paid resource, essentially mucking about with Excel sheets for three months. <laughs> so, well, if you can afford to have these guys doing that, then, you know, what are they doing for the other nine months? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, having said that, there is value in having a budget. Oh, yeah. Even though the process can be painful, 
there is a lot of value because once you have a, a, a budget as a plan, as a fiscal plan, really, mm-hmm. and coming along with the budget is, as you said, you identify the opportunities, you identify in a very simple way, you're doing a SWOT analysis every, every year because you're looking at, okay, what did we do well this year? What did we do poorly? What are opportunities? What are our threats? How do we deal with those in the marketplace? And that certainly has a lot of strategic value to it. Okay. What resources do we need in place for this? What's coming up, you know, down the road, what changing technology, that's a, that's a huge thing in many, many organizations at the moment. You know, if you look at organizations that were the powerhouses when we were younger, most of them have been acquired or, you know, they, if you look at the, let's say, uh, cars, um, you know, Ford, they sell a huge amount of cars, trucks, most popular pickup truck in North America. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is this little upstart selling, you know, iPhones on wheels, Tesla is kicking their butt in terms of market capitalization, which is at the end of the day, what the primary stakeholder is, the shareholders, they want to return on equity and they want to have market value so that they can increase their, their value in, in that organization. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's weird that, you know, this little car company that's selling a fraction of the number of cars is making so much more money in the marketplace. And, and that, you know, you can have a different discussion about the, the efficiencies in the marketplace and, you know, it, whether something has been valued correctly or whether it's been valued as a technology company, which has different multiples. And, you know, that's, I think, finance that we don't want to get into there. But I think, you know, you're really looking at this and saying they, the primary stakeholder is always going to be your ownership mm-hmm. and management does have a fiduciary duty to maximize the return for the ownership. And that, that's one of those things that sometimes gets a little missed in these conversations. You know, everybody's criticizing people and whatever else. It's overused too. It is overused. It's often used as an excuse. I mean, fiduciary duty uh, of that nature only exists in public companies. It doesn't exist in private companies. It might be assumed in private companies. Um, and it's, it's often used as an excuse to sort of, we, we have to disregard all of these things because we have a fiduciary duty to profit. That's, I mean, that's patently not true. I mean, you have to follow the law, you have to follow regulation and you, we should, and more companies do these days. I think, I mean, yours does, mine does consider you know, the, the good or, or bad that our companies do in the world, mm-hmm. you know, or the, what do they call it? ESG. Um, guess, guess who's doing an MBA by the way, <laughs> environmental, uh, societal and, and governance, you know, those, those three things are increasingly important. And I'm doing, I'm doing a case study at the moment on a, an American real estate firm who, you know, is, is building those considerations, you know, are we doing good into their, their, their business model and they're using it to impact their, their value and their share price. So I, I agree with you, but yes, there is this understanding in any business that, you know, as a manager, my responsibility is to make more money for the owner. That's what I'm here to do. 
And I think one of the differences is that people confuse that with profit and value and profit are not necessarily the same thing. They're, they're closely tied together, but you can make profit very easily by selling, selling assets. For example, if you sell an asset, you've got great short-term results. What you don't have is long-term value for the shareholder. And that's where I think a lot of organizations, you know, have, have to make good balances of Mm -hmm. where that value is. But anyway, corporate finance, what a thing, Stu. (laughs) I read a post about this the other week about money and where it comes from. Um, which is sort of slightly related to this. Um, if you haven't read it on my blog, please go along to Uh The answer, by the way, spoilers, it's all made up. But yeah, I mean, it's not just about corporate budgets. Budgets can also exist in the personal world, can't they? You know, you can have a budget. I can have a budget. Yeah, I really want to talk about personal budgets at the moment. And this kind of whole thing is sort of a segue into that. Uh-huh. A personal budget is very, very important, um, particularly right at the moment. If you haven't got one, I'd really encourage you to look at this. A lot of people, you know, we, we live paycheck to paycheck and, you know, you look at the end of the month and see how much, how much money you have in the bank. And that'll tell you how you're doing. Um, I'm, I've got some concerns. I'm, I'm assuming that you're seeing some of the same things, your side of the pond. I don't really follow the EU and, and Britain as much as I do the North American stuff, but we have inflation is sort of going through the roof. You know, we've got Uh record prices coming up. What we have in North America is interest rates, which have been historically very, very low, for mm-hmm. the last sort of 10, 15 years, really since, uh, you know, 2000, 2008, 2009 in North America, interest rates have been very, very low to stimulate the economy. Inflation has been capped very, very low. Yep. Last week, the bank of Canada, which is our central bank that sets the lending rate for the other banks, which in turn set their rates off this to. Uh, pass on that to consumers increased its lending rate by a full 1%. Mm-hmm. And that is huge because last year it was about half a percent, quarter of a percent to half a percent. Now I think it's 2.75%. And this is in a direct effort to curb inflation. What that means though, is that if you are into anything in a variable rate and Canada has a, well, North America has again, a raging hot, um, real estate market. People are buying properties based on long-term payments on low variable rates. Mm -hmm. So there, that means that their payments are tied to the interest rate. And all of a sudden, you know, if you've got a million dollar mortgage and that interest rate went from, you know, let's say 2% to 3%, all of a sudden your payments are going to go up drastically. And I'm really concerned that we're going to see some of that, those potentials for foreclosures, for a decrease in property values and, and you know, cash reserves going to pay for that. I I think it could be quite problematic for a lot of people that have 
purchased in the last four or five years. Um, you know, it it certainly is is quite quite concerning. Um, I, what what's the situation like on that side of the pond? Similar? I uh, yeah, yeah, I mean identical almost. Um, EU inflation is around eight point eight. Um, they just today, as we record, they've increased their rate by half a percent. Um, quarter of a percent was widely expected. Um, but now it's got up by half a percent. So that's, that's a clear signal that they're worried. Um, several countries inside the EU are on the brink of default. Mm-hmm. Um, now that won't happen because of the way that the Euro works, but, um, <laughs> If if you're German, then you're probably sighing and thinking, okay, so we're gonna have to bail out Italy again. Um that's 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 kind of how it works. Um philosophically we could argue that it doesn't work that way at all because all that the EU will do is the same as what uh, happens in North America. Everybody will just invent some more money uh and say, look, it's all fine. Um and any economist over the age of 40 will say that's where the problem started. Um, but all the ones under 40 have got these great theories and so everything's going to be fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember my first house, I bought, um, uh, a house off my parents when they moved to Cyprus, they were letting out their house in England. Uh, they had a really bad tenant. Um, and that they, it was, a, it was a poor market. They couldn't sell the house. So I bought it off them. Um, and I remember the interest rate that I bought it at was probably about 12 and a half. 13%. Oof. Um, and, and youngsters today, the young of today, Justin, um, have got no concept what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, the mortgage payments, um, were, were humongous and every interest sort of move, you, you were literally sort of sitting by the TV waiting for it to come up because it, it made a huge difference to your sort of livability for the, for the month. Um, but most people now borrowing money to, to buy houses have no recollection of, of variable interest rates. They've effectively lived in a fixed interest rate environment for, um, I think interest rates got really low, probably about 2001, something like that. Uh, and then stayed really, really low. As you say, after the crisis in, in 2008, they went to zero. Um, and yeah, it's, if, if you're living on a, a you know, a fixed salary, um, that, you know, there's two of you and you're putting your checks together to pay the mortgage, to buy the food. Uh, if your mortgage starts going up in the hundreds each month, that suddenly gets really uncomfortable really fast. Uh, and as you say, has a huge amount of follow on effects. UK is in the same boat. Um, inflation there is running, uh, eight to 9%, something like that. There's plenty of obvious reasons for this. We've just had a couple of years where you know, the economies were not producing as much as one might expect because everybody was at home. Um, and there were lots of stimulus packages being, being doled out by the government. And if it was your own checkbook, you wouldn't now be surprised that you have to try and balance the books. Uh, so it's, it's going to get very, very unpleasant. (laughs) That would be my prediction. Um, there's going to be a recession, perhaps not the great depression, but it's going to be, it's going to be a big one, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the sort of, you know, reset of, of many, many, uh, industries, um, this, this interest rate and sort of the whole cash, uh, value of money thing is going to be a huge focus for the next I don't know, five, 10 years. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly looking at it the same way. It's funny when I, uh, bought this house and we did our mortgage, we had to take out a, a much smaller mortgage for this house, but, mm, uh, sure. I was looking ahead and I was saying, okay, you know, this was what September last year that I had to almost argue with the bank because I wanted a fixed mortgage mm -hmm. at a higher rate mm -hmm. than the variable mortgage. And it was, you know, sure. quite considerably higher than I could have gotten a variable rate. And I was just saying, you know what? I, I don't want that risk yep. because I can see, you know, I'm a finance guy, you know, that much money when the world opens up is going to create a problem. And I'm looking at it now and thinking, yeah, gee, boy, I got that one right. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly very concerning for a lot of people. I'm quite worried about, you know, some of the people that have uh, purchased, you know, first time homes, uh, you know, homes out here are silly compared to the the average salary mm -hmm. that a family makes in canada you know that that price to earnings ratio is very very high you know what a lot of people are doing is they're looking at okay this is what i can afford on a monthly basis and that is kind of where i'm maxing out on where my purchase price of the property is going to be um, I'm seeing it now. I'm kind of nosy about the real estate market, having mm -hmm. gone through a whole, a whole year last year of trying to figure out where I'm, I'm going to live and where I'm going to sell and all the rest of that. Um, and I'm, I keep an eye on sort of the local stuff, mostly because I'm nosy. I want to see what my neighbors are selling for. Sure. Um, but boy have in, in the last few months since rates have started creeping up here, I, I can see things still been for sale. I can see prices coming down last year. If you listed a price, you had a bidding war for how much over your list price you were going to get. And now I'm seeing, you know, average prices starting to come down. So it's going to be a factor for a lot of people. Mm. Um, I'm assuming this is going to have roll on effects. If you have debt, if you have a credit line, if you have a credit card that has any balance on it, coming back to personal budgets, Now's really a time to assess where you're at, try and reduce as much of your variable debt as you can, um, and try and avoid getting into that. It's easier said than done, but try and avoid getting into those types of risky debt where you're going to be at the mercy of, of the potentially increases in rate and the recessionary impact as well. Easier said than done, but really a good time to look at your personal budget and figure out what this is going to be. One of the other things for some of us, and I'm sure assuming Stu's quite involved in this, uh, knowing his business, um, foreign exchange transactions. Uh, we've got the US dollar doing really well, which means everything in Canada that we buy from the US or in US dollars, which as uh, Stu probably knows is most everything is going up. It's getting more expensive again. It's mm -hmm. part of why our cost base is there. The Euro and the US dollars hit uh, parity last week, which hasn't happened since the early two thousands. Mm -hmm. So, you know, depending where you are, that can also impact your prices, your costs. So I, I think we've got to be really, really careful to, if you, if you have the facilities, um, hold on to your cash reserves. Caution is going to be a very good strategy at this point, uh, <laughs> because 
I, I'm, I'm saying that this is going to get worse over the next few years before it gets better. On, on behalf of the Federal Trade Commission, I'd just like to point out that we are not giving any financial advice. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, uh, I would, cash uh, is devaluing. So the, the idea of, of holding onto a cash reserve, if you were really cautious, you'd be buying um, some sort of commodity, gold, um, some sort of safe harbor, because with inflation running as high as it is, your hundred dollars, euros, pounds um, is not going to buy. Well, it's going to buy about ten percent less twelve months from now mm. um, than than it could buy, assuming inflation continues at the current rate. So, um, this is one of those really weird times when it's probably not great to be a saver and it's not great to be a, a borrower. Uh, so, whatever's between those two is is the place to be. Um, the the I mean the currency markets uh, it's it's a situation where all the economies are, uh, the technical term for this, in the toilet. <laughs> Everybody is screwed. All the currencies are screwed. It's just a question of who we think is less screwed. And that tends to be then that people, there's, there's a flight to the dollar, uh, not because of what's happening in the US particularly, but because the dollar carries more weight globally in terms of other economies that effectively work off a dollar peg. So, um, you know, what's happening in China, the Far East, they're, they're probably more dollar hungry than they are Euro or, or Pound or Swiss or anything like that. Um, so we will see increased volatility. That will continue um, because what's happening now, it's quite funny to watch the market, um, is that pretty much any piece of economic news anywhere <laughs> and you'll see the currencies jump. Um, so, you know, oh, there's some good news in the States. Quick, the dollar goes up. Oh, look at that. Look what's happening in the Eurozone. Oh, that's gone up. Um, the, the Italian government has just collapsed for, I think, about the 47th time since the Second World War. Um, uh, and they're going to have to go through a whole election again. And, well, you know, and that's uh, a, a part of the Euro, um, inflation across all of them. But yeah, it's, it, it's a scary time. Justin's right. If you've got, um, variable rate debt, then you should try to reduce that where you can. Um, but at the same token, don't hide all your money under the bed because it is mm -hmm. getting worth, worth less each day. Um, most importantly, as I think, uh, I mean, don't panic. Uh, you know, we're not advocating that it's going to be an interesting time. It's going to be a time where, um, going forward, we all, I think are going to be saying, do you know what? Maybe I won't buy that on credit. Maybe I'll I'll wait until I've got the money to buy that outright. Uh, we're going to become a little bit more. Um, <laughs> I use this. We're going to become a bit more TJ, um, my co-host <laughs> on 1857. Um, fiscally responsible. Just you know, um, it's it's going to be a question of choosing where to spend your money as as things go forward. I think. But a personal budget which is where we started on this, is, is a huge part of that. It's an understanding of, it's almost like a sensitivity analysis. So you do a budget, I, I'm sure we don't have to explain this, but you sort of just write down everything that you have to spend in a month, you know, everything that comes in in a month. And then you do some funny things and you go, well, what if my mortgage payment went up by 5% or by 10% or by 15% or by 20%? At what point am I in real Stuck. How could I adjust? You know, maybe I should not buy that Mercedes next week. 
Yeah. That, those are the types of uh, decisions that budgets help you with. Because if you've budgeted, then you, if you've budgeted properly, and there are millions of ways to get help with this, um, you will have an idea of what flexibility you have within your finances. And um, the normal run of things, the older you are, the, the easier this probably is. You're, you're more likely to have built a cushion, whether that cushion be, be in, in cash or assets. Um, but if you're younger, then you need to be very much aware of the impact that interest rates can have, um, both up and down, and the what's likely to happen to the value of your property and whether that's going to have a knock-on effect for you. Uh, and all of that comes through budgeting. And I mean, how would you recommend somebody does a first budget, Justin? If you've not done one before, how does somebody do it? I think you just look at your, your income. And you do sort of a sensitivity analysis to that. Oh, we're, we're doing the MBA things too. <laughs> uh, you really look at what that income is, what the sources are, how strong are they? You know, um, are you commission-based, for example? Are you consulting? What's the risk factors to those? Then look at your fixed expenses because everybody has some. And, and look at what those are, you know, where your sources of debt are. Figure out where, as Stu said, where your variable issues are, whether that's a credit card debt that you've got, whether that's, you know, a, a mortgage or credit line that does have variable rates, identify those, uh, look at your more regular expenses and see what variability they have as well. Uh, one of the things that I was not prepared for moving out here is the variability in Electric electrical costs because I'm in a house that is heated by electricity. Mm -hmm. So my monthly bill varies by 300%. In the cold months, it was 300% more than it is in the spring and in the fall. And now in the summer, sure. I'm get with air conditioning, I'm getting up there again. So, mm. you know, you've really got to look at your variability. Um, do sort of a best case and a worst case can look at what your, your tolerance to risk is in terms of purchasing anything big and over committing yourself. You know, if you've got debt and you have the, the resources, again, coming from a very privileged place, if you have the resources to pay down any variable debt, um, I, I would strongly recommend it. Or, you know, as Stu says, you know, cash reserves are not always great. But having the capacity for risk is also a really good cautionary measure at this point. You know, investing it somewhere safe, but mm -hmm. that's going to get you some return. You know, it, the inflation is certainly a, a problem. Uh, you know, the idea, as Stu said, of uh, going and buying a brand new Mercedes because, well, you know, I don't want to lose money on my on my cash from inflation. Uh, if that's going to take away your reserves and your ability to react to any of the changes that could happen, I think now that that's a good time. You know, try to make sure you also uh, save a little bit as well, if you can. You know, not everybody can. And if you can, allocate some of that to... A war chest, you know, that's that's a business thing that uh, we, we certainly like to have is a, a bit of a war chest in the bank so that you sure. can take advantage of opportunities that come up. Mm -hmm. um, again, good thing to have in a corporate or a personal budget. Um, 
just just know your numbers. That's really what it comes down to. Yep. Know your numbers, identify your risk factors. And I'd recommend, you know, don't live on the budget. Don't live in fear. Once you've done this, just revisit it in three months. You know, you don't need to be worrying about this and stressing about it. I think Stu and I are perhaps a, a little overcautious. You know, both of us have got sort of a financial background. We look at this and have have been old enough to go through these cycles before and see all the challenges that, that can come. Not necessarily going to. We're, we're not sure. I mean, that's the whole point of recessions. You can never figure them out until you're kind of in the middle of it. And in hindsight, everything's very obvious mm. in, in the time, you know, just a little bit of caution is, is recommended. Yeah. And if you are, you know, if you are struggling in any way, if you are stretched, go get help. There's lots of help out there. Go and speak to someone who knows what they're talking about. Okay. Justin and I have financial backgrounds. We're not financial advisors. We're not giving you financial advice. But if you do have, I don't know, a lot of uh, debt that you're worried about, go and speak to debt managers. Go and speak to financial advisors. In, in the UK, I would say it'd be the Citizens Advice Bureau. Um, I'm sure there'll be something similar in the States. But just, uh, and in Canada, just an understanding of where you are. Talk it through with someone. You know, money, money can be a really scary thing. Uh, but the first step to getting rid of that fear is getting control of it and understanding what you have, where it goes, where it came from, what the thing, and that's, you can do it with pen and paper. You can do it with an Excel sheet. You can do it with all sorts of commercial things like, uh, YNAB is one I, I hear a lot of, um, I don't know what you think about that, Justin, but some sort of, if a tool helps, a tool helps great use it. But at the end of the day, this is about you understanding what your financial situation is. And like I say, if you're worried or scared about it, talk to someone, okay? Don't let it get on top of you. There's always a way to, to sort these things out. Very good advice, Jim. Which is not actual advice. It's just go get advice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, go and, go and speak to someone who knows what they're talking about. But yeah, by all means, drop us an email and we'll point you in the right direction. That's fine. Uh, yeah. Of who to talk to. Um, also take a look at your banks as well. If you're running everything through a bank, sure. uh, my app on my phone has a budgeting breakdown. Oh, yeah. uh, it allocates where I spend my money, um, which I'm never going to show my wife. <laughs> we have separate bank accounts, uh, but you know, that, that, uh, part that's pens and, uh, ink, uh, we don't talk about that one. Uh, no, but, uh, seriously, I, I do have charts available from the bank that are free they're included in there so sure. you know take a few minutes explore what you've got i'm assuming that a lot of the banks in the different countries that our listeners are in will have similar resources available yep and they'll have advisors too yeah all right sue any takeaways on this one because let, let's try and wrap it up something positive because i think we've been a little negative this time all right well i've got i've got two okay i'm, I'm gonna first one is whatever the question the answer is not cryptocurrency, right? <laughs> Stop it. Don't go near it. It's a scam. It's useless, pointless, waste of time. Uh, I will not be taking emails on this question. Uh, second, budgeting. It's a really powerful tool. Just try it, uh, whether it be personal or corporate. Try it. Enjoy the sense of control that it gives you. Understand where the money is, where it comes from, where it's going, and what levers you can pull 
to increase or decrease that flow. What about you, Justin? What have you got? I think yours are great. Uh, mine is just a reminder, if you don't have a personal budget or if you haven't looked at it in a little while, I know a lot of us kind of look at it in sort of an annual process. Take a, take a time to go through it, review it, look for your risk factors and, and just make sure you're comfortable or as, as comfortable as you can be with the situation the way it is, because it's an unknown. Things could get better. I don't think they will for a little while. I don't think it'll be too bad, but, uh, you know, I've, I've been wrong before when it comes to these types of things. <laughs> We're doomed. Exactly. You know, just be, just be cautious and having that peace of mind to go to bed at night and know that you've looked at it. Um, you know, I just went to the doctor. I, I feel good because I've got a clean bill of health. I don't have to worry about, you know, what's that pain? What's that, you know, that over 50 thing that you wake up and you've managed to uh, pull a muscle. I feel good because I know there's nothing major wrong with me. And I would say it's the same sort of relief that you may get from reviewing your, your personal budget. And if you're like me, don't sp share it with your spouse. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. It is, you know, it's a good, it's a good time for conversations as well. If you have a partner or somebody, you know, children, even that are part of that, have conversations with them because I think now is certainly time to think about stuff like this in a positive way. It'll be an exercise. It'll be a fun one. For sure. And, you know, uh, hopefully not too many of you are in a place where this is a major concern for you, but, you know, everybody is in a different time of life, a different place of life, and hopefully you get something out of our slightly negative conversation this week. Ugh. All right, Stu, where can people find you on the internet if they want to give you their thoughts on cryptocurrency? <laughs> well, that would have to be on Twitter. Um, uh, so yeah, you can find me at Stu Lennon, but yes, be advised that I've worked in finance all my life. I know what cryptocurrency is. Chances are you don't. Uh, you can also find me at stuartlennon.com or you can get some wonderful stationery at nerosnotes.co.uk. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Well, at the moment, they can still find me on nerosnotes.co.uk because I haven't <laughs> checked out. I'm going to see what else I want to throw in my little package before I uh, click it, click that button, Stu. Oh, uh, no, seriously, you can find me at justintwyford.com. Um, yeah, you can see me. Well, there's links to everything I'm doing there. Uh, if you have comments, would like a pen from Stu or myself for that matter, uh, please drop us an email, stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. Uh, please take a moment to like and review us to our podcast catcher of choice. We certainly appreciate your recommendations to your friends and your colleagues. Anybody that you think might use a personal budget, perhaps this would be a good conversation. Our next topic, we're going to start on a series of deep dive subjects. We're going to look at how we use tools to be more productive. And we're going to go in a little deeper on those. Our first topic is going to be managing email, which sounds exciting. And I think we all have to deal with until then. Yeah, for sure. Goodbye and stay productive. Yes. Yes. <laughs>